You are listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you are interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at 2 5 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of us needs and appreciates all your support. Hooray! Delicious Volume 1, Life Tastes Good, is finally at Amazon United States. What is delicious, you ask? Imagine a land where all your favorite foods live as human girls. Here in charming a la carte, under the floating city of heavenly delight, we meet Ramen, a young cook trying to run a restaurant with her family of pastas as they end up in all sorts of wacky adventures and hijinks as these strong, eccentric characters pursue their dreams and passions. Delicious is a beautifully drawn comedy series which is now finally available to buy in the United States. Click on the banner on one of us, order today and join in the fun now because Delicious Volume 2, Yum 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 is coming really soon. A perfect gift for your child or those of you who are forever young at heart. One of us strongly recommends this one. to be that we had three Star Wars movies. Over the years, we got some made-for-TV movies and plenty of comic books and books and video games, but really all the normal people had were three movies about a farm boy and a space wizard laser sword learning who his dad is and blowing up an evil space goblin man. Then we got three more movies about a whole lot of space wizards and politics and more laser swords and the fall of a knight to the dark side. And then more shows and more games and more books. And then we got five more movies and more and more and more. And the options on the menu in this cantina became so vast that there is literally something for everyone. So this begs the question, with this many choices, what do you want from your Star Wars? If you want the high-flying exploits of space wizards fighting evil men and women in black cloaks, cackling about their master plans, or awesome spaceships ripping through the stars with explosions and heart-pumping actions and gunslingers, then you have the lion's share of what is offered on this menu, and that's perfectly fine. However, if you want prestige television, Intrigue and tension-driven spycraft, expertly honed character studies in finely crafted dialogue-enriched scenes interspersed with clear and coherent action sequences. If you want a very human and complex tale of the birth of the Rebellion and the Empire of the original Star Wars told in what might be the truest science fiction this series of space fantasies has ever had, I give you Andor. The story of rebel spy Cassian Andor and his role in the formation of the galaxy far, far away. I am T.C. DeWitt of the Screener Squad, and I am joined by my cadre of rebel scum and imperial villainy. Melina? It's funny, I thought you were talking about Boba Fett there for a second. Ah, damn you! (laughs) I was like, that's a lot of words to describe the Mandalorian, T.C. come on, guys. (laughs) And Marco. Hello, everybody. 
Uh, well, welcome to the cantina, my friends. Do you two see anything you like on this part of the Star Wars menu? I think that this is, without a doubt, the darkest and grimiest I may have ever seen Star Wars on screen. I don't think the words, may the force be with you, are ever uttered. In fact, I am positive that they're not. There is not mm -hmm. any discussion of the Sith, the dark side, or the light. There are not even screen wipes, no mention of the Skywalkers, and thank God for all of the above. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this doesn't even start with a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. This is the first Star Wars property not to do that, at least in the mainstream movies and TV shows. And for the most part, if you didn't know you were watching a Star Wars movie, I don't think you'd know right away. As I said, this is one of the most science fiction things Star Wars has ever done because there's no lightsabers in this. There's no alien main characters in this. This is a very human science fiction political intrigue action. I don't even a suspense thriller. I, yes, guys, espionage drama. I mean, imagine if John Le Carre had written a Star Wars and you brought in some of the writers uh, from The Wire. Uh, to run it. It's yeah. kind of this top to bottom view of this society from the back streets and alleyways to the highest levels of institutional and political power and all centering around this one dude, Andor, who actually kind of feels like a supporting player sometimes in his own series, but that's just because they give so much rich material to all of these supporting characters, many of whom are new to the franchise, with the exception of Andor and Mon Mothma, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. who's been around since the 1980s, but has never been given this much to do in the live-action films. And Andor himself, we've already met uh, in Rogue One, which was also a Tony Gilroy uh, film, although not in name. He mm -hmm. was brought in very late in the process and reconfigured it into what it is today. And clearly... His take impressed somebody at Lucasfilm because they said, hey, you want to do a whole series of this? And Tony Gilroy, being the guy that he is, said, no, I don't. <laughs> and then they kept bugging him about it. And so by his own accounts, he wrote like a treatise and said, OK, here's what I'm going to do. And the very first page of the first script is set in a brothel almost as a dare to Disney, like, please tell me you're going to say no. And they did it. And so he's like, yeah. all right, I guess I'll do the rest of it. <laughs> yeah. I was like, wow, this is really showing a level of maturity and a level of just kind of harsh reality to this world that even the original films kind of never did. Of course, we got, you know, on the peripheral of someone like Darth Vader and the Emperor and the Skywalkers, an idea of the imperial suits and that's kind of really all that they were here you strip all of that mythos away from it and you'd look at this like you were saying a bottom to top look at how this world works under the empire you're watching a story about fascism yeah. and yeah. unblinkingly yeah. so it is the first star wars show with the possible exception of rogue one that really just leans into the fact that it's for adults george lucas mm -hmm. and his followers have always said hey we're doing this for kids and because he wanted to make something that was a response to then 70s era pessimism and moral ambiguity and thought, you know, kids mm -hmm, need, mm -hmm. deserve some kind of, you know, moral instruction, some kind of hope figures that they can look up to. In the process also created a type of escapist fantasy IP driven franchise that's become the norm today. 
not the exception. And I feel like Tony Gilroy and company have finally said, okay, yeah, uh, we had that, and now let's try something different with it. And it is, I will say, this is the first Star Wars for adults. It works on that very fine line. You can watch this with kids, but I think it's going to go over their heads and they may get bored after a while. Tell them to come back when they're a little older and I think they'll appreciate it more. <laughs> I understand why there are people who do not like this because the adventure elements have been kind of sapped out. And I think you're right on the money, Marco, that... And Malina, you said it too. This is a mature Star Wars. This has grown. This has moved beyond what George Lucas's original, optimistic, fun, and exciting Star Wars uh, was. This is what the best kind of science fiction is. It's timely. It parallels stuff that we are going through. This is about the overthrowing of fascists. You would also mention, Marco, that Andor Cassian kind of feels like a tertiary character, like a supporting character in the story, which is on brand because Luke was an everyman character that we could all insert ourselves into. And the best characters, throwing that in quotes for you folks, were the supporting Han and Leia and Darth Vader and Tarkin and C-3PO and R2-D2. And Andor here does that because... Mon Mothma is one of the most intriguing characters I've ever seen in Star Wars. Deidre Miro, who is an Imperial secretary, just driving towards discovering the truth behind the rebellion. Her ambition is scary. Cyril, who is drank the Kool-Aid, is this <laughs> got this real school shooter vibes Imperial stooge. And then you have Luthen, played by a Skarsgård here, who is on par with Saw when it comes to rebellion gray. Oh. <laughs> and, yeah, and, and then one of the best dogs that we've ever seen in Star Wars, B2, the, the droid. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. But there's a maturity. <laughs> but there's a maturity in all of this. And it is so incredibly well-crafted. From the page, not a single word wasted, not a single shot, just... For fan service, this is being taken very, very seriously. And I think giving it to Tony Gilroy, someone who was a bit resistant to doing this, was a good move. Well, Gilroy himself kind of set up some of these expectations when he said, look, I'm not a Star Wars fan. I don't really care. I just want to tell a good story in the press and said things like, this is Star Wars without Easter eggs, without fan service. Of course he knows. And that's partly true. I can see why somebody watches this and go, this doesn't feel like Star Wars. Yeah. But the fact is, there are Easter eggs in here. There are recurring yeah. characters. There are connections to the greater lore. And they're all woven in very subtly and carefully. It's just that none of them are pushed in your face. This is not The Force Awakens. No. No, it is not. Everything that shows up on screen, it, they're true Easter eggs in that you have to look for them most of the time. They're not being pelted at you. And they're there because they make sense. This is mm -hmm. the kind of show where we know there's an emperor. We don't have to see Palpatine. Yes! You bring in a really deep cut like Admiral Yularen. Yes. Uh, who we really only see in the Clone <laughs> Wars and briefly in the original Star Wars when he didn't even have a name back then. And that guy comes in and goes, I've spoken to the emperor personally. And you're like, of course. Course. Of course you have. It's more chilling that way to have this guy come in who used to be a good guy nominally and, of course, that's the one guy who has Palpatine's direct line. He's the one guy who can call Palpatine while he's on the toilet. And go, uh, 
Your Excellency, you have to stop what you're doing right now because I have some really bad news. <laughs> well, yeah. let me wipe first. <laughs> and that's exactly what makes the show feel so much, not like its own universe. I never felt like this didn't feel like Star Wars. It's just that it felt like it's trying to just present a different facet of this universe. You have people who, through the entirety of this, who, as far as we or they know, are not Force-sensitive. They're not Jedi. They're certainly not Sith. These are people who have to use their words, they have to use their minds, they have to use their resources in order to actually deal with these problems. You know, magic is not something that's going to come in and help them at any point. So keeping all of the magical parts of Star Wars out of this, they are alluded to, and that's all they need to be. That's all that should have been done with them. Because here, mm -hmm. this is a character study about how a rebellion starts, how the seeds are sown. We, we've all said at this point, yeah, uh, at points Cassian can feel like he is more a part of an ensemble than he is a leading man. And I think that that actually works really well because he's more of a challenging character than Luke Skywalker is. Yeah. When we first meet him in this and Rogue One, we see he is a brutal Person. He kills someone, yeah. Yeah, he will kill in cold blood, and he does several times, as do the rest of the people he comes across. I love how there is emotional and moral gray area that we've never seen done like this before, particularly with someone like Luthen, oh. who is Almost on par with, you said Saw Gerrera, I compared him more in my head to V for from V for Vendetta. Yeah, yeah, I see that. He is the Rebellion's Palpatine mm -hmm. in a way. He's the puppet master, the guy pulling the strings, and who knows that he has to use brutal methods. Mm -hmm. He knows damn well that the Empire will rule with fear, and that will usually work. And the only way you can get the people to rise up is to make things worse. The frogs aren't going to jump out of the pot until the flames get hot enough. Uh, yeah. And Luthen's job is partly to just heat things up. And of course the Empire cracks down. Of course they overreact, take things too far in a disproportionate manner. And guess what? It gets enough people to finally say, we've had enough. Mm -hmm. And as far as Andor goes, I mean, when we see him in the beginning, he's kind of a fuck up. You know, he's looking for his lost sister, He's got, he owes everybody money. Everybody he bumps into is like, Jesus, dude, what the, where the hell have you been? I'm not going to lend you any money. I don't want to hear any more of your bullshit excuses. Stop fucking around. I mean, he's kind of just a loser in a way, but everybody kind of likes him. And over the course of this series, it's really how you get that guy in Rogue One. How you get some guy who's only looking out for himself, who kind of just goes with the flow and is pulled along by circumstances to making the decision to be an active participant. And it's how he gets radicalized. And like I said, this is a lot more akin to things like John le Carré or Army of Shadows. Les Miserables. Les Miserables. Very much like that, yeah. The Battle of Algiers. I mean, it's heavily political in a way that feels very specific to Star Wars, yet it's never quite gone this far before. And as Tony Gilroy himself has said, Look, if you find any modern-day parallels, that's on you. I'm, I'm not trying to make something overtly political, which mm -hmm, seems mm -hmm. kind of hard to believe. But he says, if you see anything recognizable, <laughs> it's because if you study the history of revolution over the past several thousand years, this is kind of how it always happens. Enough people have to get angry to stand up and fight a superior force. The way this show is presented, if you watch the previously on Andor, it's just sort of broken up into three spaces or three mm -hmm. sections. And the previously on basically opens with the thesis every time. 
they do a really nice job, even in those previously on, to just tell you this is what this is about. This is about the birth of a rebel, the birth of the rebellion, and the birth of the resistance to that rebellion. Mm-hmm. And it's, it is a masterclass of screenwriting. Yeah. I don't want to oversell it because I know some people are on the fence about this or, you know, there's a lot to watch. I understand. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're in the mood for something light. That's what you need right now. I get that. Yeah. But when your soul is uh, fortified enough and you're ready to, to deal with something that's a little tougher but still has some of those little genre elements that you find so appealing, this is a really good mix of those things. Mm-hmm. And to TC's point... It is very well structured. I mean, you do have over 12 episodes. They're like three little mini arcs. Yes. So you basically have four little interconnected feature films, but those themes and motifs are woven through it so deftly that, again, I don't want to oversell it, but it's almost like any good piece of literature, any good piece of art. Not only can you look at it differently, but you can just pull those threads and keep finding connections not only to the greater Star Wars universe, but even within the episodes. Mm -hmm. Characters say things that other characters on the opposite side will say. Certain images. The word climb is a motif that gets used over and over. The image of people Mm -hmm. rising up. The idea of bricks of a society built of these little individual bricks and or or beating people with bricks just to or just beating people with bricks. (laughs) Raining people. (laughs) And again, that's great Star Wars because if you ever loved the Star Wars universe and you've loved those sort of Star Wars uh, visual guides and things where they tell you about the props and the buildings and they give you all the background. A lot of that stuff you never know until you read about it later. First time we saw Ferrix, which is the town that Andor and his adoptive family live in, I thought to myself, I don't think I've ever seen a Star Wars planet that has so much brick in it. I don't think I've ever seen a brick in Star Wars. That's interesting. (laughs) Never really thought much more about it, but as the series progresses, those bricks become a much more powerful symbol, and we find out what those bricks are and what they mean to the people of Ferrix, and you're like, oh, that's so smart. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm sensing that it's there for a reason without having it explained to me, and then when it is explained, you're like, it's just, it's so much richer. Yeah. It takes Chilling. on a completely Goosebumps. different meaning than you expected at first. You know, it's like, because when you see something like that, you know, this kind of smog-filled desert planet, its civilization just covered in solid brick, you're like, God, this is this almost looks oppressive. It almost looks like something that you'd see out of, you know, the Soviet Union back in the day. And then you actually look at what these bricks not just symbolize, but what they literally what they literally are, as we come to find out. And it takes on a whole different meaning, and it totally gives you a sense of this community and how everyone eventually has to work together mm-hmm. to create something solid. And I'm like, that is so smart, so beautiful. And yeah, the way that they actually literally use one of those bricks at some point, I was so utterly hoping <laughs> that they would. And when they did, I was just like, yes! A plus. And that's just one of many examples like that throughout the show. Mm-hmm. It's all the little pieces that add up to the greater whole is a motif that you see throughout all of this. It's all the little mistakes and the little victories that build and build and build. Honestly, I get a sense that the three of us really like this. And what I'd like to do is encourage anyone listening to this. If you are on the fence, if you aren't sure this is for you, or if you're hearing people saying this is slow and boring, it really just comes down to like I opened with, what do you want? 
from Star Wars. And I really, really, really think this is one of the best crafted Star Wars things that we've seen in a very long time. And I love The Mandalorian. I love what Filoni and Favreau have done. I even find some goodness within the sequel trilogy. Like what Disney has done over the course of the decade plus now that they've owned Star Wars is grow it in every direction. And this is a direction grown that I don't think that I've seen mm -hmm. from the actual IP. This feels like the best of the role-playing games and the best of the fan fiction and the best of what people have always loved about Star Wars that they want to grow themselves. So I, I, and you two can echo me as well, really, really encourage you to seek this out. If you really are on the fence, tip to our side. Seriously, come, come to our side. <laughs> Sorry, um, no, it's a good side. It's a good side. Well, Yoda will tell you, do or do not, there is no try. Yeah. But as another erstwhile rebel will tell you, try. Yeah. Trying turns out mm -hmm. to be very important in the grand scheme of things, regardless of whether you're Yoda or not. Maybe Yoda doesn't have to try, but the rest of us mere mortals without any powers do. And so I recommend you try watching this, mm -hmm. except that it's going to be a slow burn, that it's more character and plot driven. Know that, you know, every third episode or so, you're going to get a really cool action set piece that yes. will reward your patience. Yes. Sure. Yes. And I, I agree. Uh, as they have said, only a Sith deals in absolutes. I think that I will grant people who maybe are scared to get started with this because they've heard that it is a bit of a slow burn at the start, or maybe they tried to watch a couple episodes and just couldn't get into it. I would say maybe give it another try because... Once it does hit the ground running, I think with that fourth episode, you totally understand what the purpose of those three episodes were. And if you continue, you will see they're like, we're setting the stage here. We are really about to get into some very complex subplots, very complex uh, mini arcs for these characters. We have to let you get to know these people at the start. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, the finale is not going to hit as hard. Yeah. I, yeah, I implore you, get through those first three episodes, and I promise you, you will be rewarded if at that point you decide, all right, there's enough here for me to keep going. With that glowing endorsement from all of us, with the caution for those fans who might not want to dive into this, I'd like to just take the last few minutes here of this review to just get into anything we want to talk about. Like, so spoiler right from here. Uh, if you don't want to find out that, you know, Snoke's origin is in it. Oh, shit. Um, oh, sorry. That, sorry. A little too spoiler. I'll, I'll edit that out. If you don't want to find out about Palpatine marrying Mon Mothma, that's, oh, shit. Um, okay, sorry. Strike that. Uh, I'll, I'll edit all that out. Okay. Jokes aside, if there's anything you two want to discuss here. I mean, I have very few complaints about this show. I mean, they are the nittiest of nitpicks. Uh, <laughs> and they are exactly that. Would I like to see more aliens? Yes. But I also know that the aliens have always been analogs for the human experience as well. We're supposed to relate to them as people, like mm -hmm. normal people. And Tony Gilroy doesn't give a fuck about aliens. He's writing a story about people who just happen to live in a world with aliens. <laughs> he has already said season two is going to bring in some more aliens and have some more direct connections to the original trilogy. K2? And, and Rogue One. <laughs> well, we know we're getting Rogue One. Yeah. Uh, and so... Like with Rogue One, if you're watching it going, you know, I've never seen any of these people in the uh, original trilogy. I guess they're not going to make it. Well, that's kind of true here in Andor, too, because mm -hmm. you're like, you know, I didn't see all of these people in Rogue One. Mm -hmm. uh, and like Molina was saying, it you need to take time to spend with these characters and get to know them. 
because when they, we lose some of them, and we will, uh, then it hurts. It yeah. hits home. And you realize that one of the recurring themes is sacrifice. Everyone in this show has to make a sacrifice. Everyone from Mon Mothma to Andor to any character you meet at some point comes to terms with the fact that if I'm going to bring this rebellion down, A, I might not live to see the end of this fight, and B, in order to advance my goals, I'm going to have to sacrifice something up to and including uh, my own life. Mm -hmm. I don't think it can be understated how great I found the dialogue in this, especially some of the monologues that people get. <laughs> Mark Listen, and I both lifted our hands and cheering silently. I, like I said, can, cannot be understated. I think it's actually impossible to overstate. Stellan Skarsgård's character, Luthen, he gets, I think, one of the most compelling moments in not just the show, but I think in all of Star Wars. Yep. His monologue towards the end of that 10th episode is so powerful, and it's so, <sighs> the, yeah. it's so the underlying thesis of this whole thing, which is, yes, I am probably not going to be remembered as a hero in this, despite the fact that this is, in so many ways, my revolution. But I have had to resign myself to that for years. I've had to stoop to the level of my enemies in order to get things done. And so, yes, I've sacrificed everything. Mm -hmm. Literally everything. I can't have a life outside of this. It is too late for me. And they shoot him like a Sith Lord. They do, and I think that's very With intentional. black flowing cape. Yeah, very intentional. Yeah. It's that idea of, like, there's someone out there fighting on our behalf, but he's doing all the shit that we're too scared to do. Which Mon Mothma faces several times throughout this show, where she's like, what did you do? And he's like, what? was necessary yeah you can try to do this the right way the political way the the proper way to build your rebellion but the only way this gets done is with blood and that yeah. hurts him just as much as it hurts the people involved yeah, he doesn't take glee and yet mon mothma has to make a great sacrifice as well oh, and yeah she does her it's a painful her daughter and husband suck oh so god yeah they, they, <laughs> they do suck but but she knows what it costs. Yes, she knows yes. what her daughter is giving herself to, even though she may not realize it now. But may, uh, presumably when Mon Mothma got married, she thought it was going to be a good deal. And then yeah. she wakes up, you know, 30 years later going, Jesus Christ. This guy. How did I ever get <laughs> stuck in this relationship? And can we just stop to acknowledge that Tony Gilroy has made not only the first show in Star Wars to do this, but definitely the first show on Disney Plus to start in a whorehouse, <laughs> have a lesbian couple, and yes. end on child marriage. Yes. I mean, is this HBO or Disney <laughs> Plus? I know. I was like, is this Game of Thrones? It definitely yeah. has undercurrents of that. I love the interplay between Mon Mothma and Luthen, but I love the parallels between the two of them mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. The more that we get to know Mon Mothma, the more that we realize because when I, it started, I thought that I knew exactly where she was in her arc. I was at that. I was under the misapprehension that this is someone who still fully believes that they can use diplomacy, they can use the proper legitimate channels in order to get things done. And we come to realize, no, she is well past that point. It's just a face that she puts on. Yeah. Very much like Luthen, they have to put on this mask at all times. They both know that they're doing unsavory things. They know that they're both having to stoop to levels that she, at least, may still feel are beneath her. She has no interaction, in fact, with Cassian himself. 
Mm-hmm. But her arc, I thought, was just as fascinating as his. Yeah, what a yeah. fascinating journey for the actress Genevieve O'Reilly. Gosh, I mean, yeah. She came in for, you know, I think it was Attack of the Clones mm-hmm. in a deleted scene, but they bring her back for Rogue One. Somebody remembered her, and they're like, hey, let's bring her back. And then she shows up in Star Wars Rebels playing Mon Mothma yep. again. Yep. And now, for the first time, she's basically accidentally kind of stumbled into this role of a lifetime. And it's like 20 years later, is finally getting to play a real character. And finally gets to ditch the Enya haircut. (laughs) Well, she'll get that later. Uh, I know. (laughs) Honestly, I could sit here and start praising this thing or talking about other things. Like, just keep going and going and going. But let's try to wrap it up here. Uh, One final thought I want to throw out for myself is Andy Serkis is... Just a, a, a treasure to us all. I, I, I think that we are better as human beings on this planet for having Andy Circus involved in the nerd properties we've gotten to see him involved in. And we're not talking about Snoke. No, no, we're not talking about Snoke. <laughs> we're talking about Kino here from the prison section of this show. Luthen's speech at the end of episode 10 comes right on the heels of one of the most heartbreaking moments in all of the Star Wars, which is I Can't Swim. And Kino's speech earlier before that, there's honestly some award-worthy performances here. And if this show doesn't get tossed up for some Golden Globes or Emmys, I will be shocked. Because every step of the way, from script to cinematography to filming on location, the production design, the very hidden visual effects that are all over this thing and never in your face, Mm -hmm. to the performances, this is masterclass cinema and prestige television as it's meant to be it feels episodic it feels better than i thought star wars could get and i already love star wars so for me i i I, this is a 10 out of 10 i've already watched this series in its entirety twice and the finale was just a couple days ago i love this show only twice i know shame on me (laughs) i'm actually happy that I have to wait two years for part two of this series because that anticipation will be real and I know we're in good hands with what comes from here so that's that's what I have to say about that Marco well for all the haters who are like this show sucks and blah 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 and people aren't watching it and you know that just goes to show you know Disney can't move Star Wars product anymore they already got renewed for season two they're shooting season two right now the <laughs> second and final season so shut the fuck up we win <laughs> we already won I don't need anybody to watch the show I'm getting the second and final season I'm getting the completion of this story so I won regardless of whether anybody else tunes in but I hope they do because they're gonna find I think a lot uh, to appreciate here Rather than just recycle what I've already said, I just want to throw out three things. Masterful, making us sympathize with the character of Daedra, practically rooting for her. Yeah. This woman in a man's world who's the smartest person in the room, who's the first person to figure out that there's a rebellion going on, and then realizing halfway through, I should not have been rooting for this person. She's terrible. <laughs> she is terrifying. You me, show. Second... I think we can all agree, if anybody hurts B2 Emo, we all riot. And yes. Tony Gilroy said, you know what? Now that you mention it, I am going to do that. I can and... feel a million voices crying out in terror when that happens. <laughs> you leave that little dude alone. Uh, and of course, that's where the riot breaks out. They're like, that was the final straw. <laughs> you do not <laughs> hurt the dog. Are you kidding me? You Burn kick the puppy in home. front of everybody. You get what you deserve. 
And finally, I talked about how this does feel like Star Wars. You may not think so, but it does reflect Star Wars and mirrors it in interesting ways. If you go back to the first time anybody, myself included, ever saw a hologram on screen, it was in 1977. It's Princess Leia in her famous, Help me Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. Look at her in that projection. She's very tiny. You could hold her in her, your hand. She's a damsel in distress. You want to protect her. And here she is asking for assistance from this powerful space wizard, this one man who can help her. We get a brilliant inversion of that at the end of this finale, where we see Marva's hologram, only she's not little. She towers over everyone in town. And instead of asking a single person to help her, a single magic space wizard, she tells the people, of, she's dead, she's beyond helping, but she tells the people of her community to rise up, marking the first uh, first blow against the Empire by a bunch of nobodies that history's forgotten. That is brilliant, masterful. I don't care if they did it on purpose, by accident, subconsciously. Tony Gilroy says he's not paying attention to Star Wars and he doesn't give a fuck about it. But clearly it's getting through because only someone who knows how important that first image is, I think, could do that brilliant inversion uh, that he gave us in the finale, which, of course, is going to tie into A New Hope after Rogue One. So brilliant, masterful. It's like a work of literature. You can pick it apart and just unpack all of its themes, images and symbols. And I'm over the moon. I said I had nitpicks. Sure, I do. I have nitpicks about everything. But in my final thought is that, to quote Marva, I love you more than anything you could ever do wrong. And that's how I feel about this show and the franchise in general. I, this is a 10 out of 10 bowls of blue milk cereal. <laughs> oh, my God, that was mine. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I watched every episode with a bowl of cereal because I was like, God damn, that looks delicious. I can't say enough good things about this show. I could try to all day long, except it would take me all day long. I have no nits to pick. I just had such an incredible experience watching this the whole way through. I got so much more out of it subtextually than I think I ever have from Star Wars. And that's because it approaches this with a level of maturity that it never has before. And I think for that reason, this is going to be the first time that I will say this is a part of Star Wars that may just not be for everybody. Not in what it's talking about, but how it's talking about it. This is, like we said, not for kids. This is decidedly not for kids. This is brought to you by the guy who wrote Michael Clayton, and that is exactly how it feels. <laughs> and that's perfectly fine. This is something that the audience will find it, and they will appreciate it for exactly what it is. They should, because for what it is, I think it's kind of perfect. Incredible performances. Diego Luna, we have said, yeah, he it does feel more of like an, an ensemble, but that is not in any way to detract from the power he puts into this performance. What he does with just a simple gesture or his facial expressions... It's incredible. And yeah, Stellan Skarsgård, Genevieve O'Reilly, Fiona Shaw, Andy yeah. Serkis, people who are not given quite as much screen time as him, especially Serkis, they still blow you away with what they're able to do. And that's paired with just incredible writing. Production design is phenomenal. It's unique. This is a different look to Star Wars than I think we've ever seen. And I can't wait to go watch this whole thing a fourth time. So I... <laughs> Uh, 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. Ten out of ten spaceship runs that give the Kessel Run a run for its money. <laughs> Sorry, that was a last minute improv, so forgive me. <laughs> no, that was me. great. <laughs> Try spinning. That's a good move. Oh my god, he's got lightsabers in his spaceship. <laughs> he must be a Sith. Calm, the, calm down. Just calm oh, down. Oh, the okay. internet. <laughs> yes.